Flourishing Education, the podcast where I share the powerful, imperfectly perfect conversations with disruptors of the education system in the UK and beyond. I would really like to encourage you to take a listen and see what's possible as I ask the question, how can we change the way we educate and parent our children and young people so that they can truly become flourishing, curious, lifelong learners and young adults. I hope you enjoy these episodes as much as I've enjoyed recording them and creating them. Please do not hesitate to connect with me on LinkedIn, Fabian Vales, and or, and or on Twitter at FlourishingHG. And please let me know what's your favourite episode or favourite part of the podcast. I look forward to hearing from you and in the meantime I truly hope you are thriving and flourishing. Wishing you a fabulous day wherever you are in the world. Hello and welcome to another Imperfectly Perfect Conversation for the Flourishing Education podcast. Today, I'm recording a conversation for series two, which is dedicated solely to young people. And as part of these conversations, I'm delighted to welcome my next guest, Adrija. A very warm welcome to the podcast. Hi, Fabian. Thank you so much for having me here. No, wonderful. All the pleasure is mine, Adrija. So um, shall we start with the first question I ask all of my guests, which is very much a, a way of situation you in the situating you in the world and finding out a bit more about you. So would you share a bit more about who you are, where you are in the world and and what it has been your journey thus far? Sure. So hi again. I'm Adrija and I am from India. Uh, currently, I am pursuing a major in English literature from the University of Delhi, which is in the capital of India. I belong to a joint family, so a pretty big family. And I've had to step away from home for my education. But I'm happy because I'm currently doing something that I love. And so are you in year one of your, of the program? I'm year two. I'm year, year, two. Two. year two. Okay, wonderful. So could you share with us a little bit about um, your views on education? Do you enjoy uh, education? Do you think that there are things that are working, not working in education that we could change? Yeah. So I think this is a very important question to ask, especially for Indian students at this point in time, because we have recently gone through a very big change in our educational system. Um, the year when I started university, which was last year, a new system was introduced, which is called the National Education Policy. And because of that, we moved on from a three-year program to a four-year program. And the entire curriculum and syllabus have been changed to focus more on skills or a skill-based learning. And I come from a family where I am the very first to have ever stepped out from my hometown and come so far for an education. So the onus for a lot of things associated with education in my family basically lies on me. 
to inspire my siblings, to share learning to the rest of my community back at home. And it has been a difficult phase as we are the first group of students to ever like go through this curriculum, so to say. So I think education is, of course, even the new curriculum is not perfect, just like the old one was. And there are many things that need to be fleshed out. There are many things that the students are not liking. Uh, many texts that we thought could have had a revolutionary effect on us, which have been removed. And there, of course, the internal political situation of India is not that great right now. Uh, people are not happy. There is not enough press freedom. So I think education at this point becomes more subjective. I think it becomes more than more than about just what you can take from the text and how you correlate what you take from the text with what is actually happening around us. And if you do not do that, then I do not feel that education truly has a purpose. And that is what most educational spaces still do not teach you in India. So I really feel that what education is and how it can help us really, really needs to be shaped and co-created by the people who are teaching, whoever they may be, and the people who are learning. And these roles cannot be exclusivized in that sense. There needs to be a give and take. Yeah, so a little bit like, would you say the conversation we're having today in the sense that um, having more conversations, is that how you view the co-creation and the and the, the collaboration between young people and the educators? Definitely. Uh, because you say that, it reminds me, I also feel that I'm quite privileged because the literature classroom is a space where such conversations are very much encouraged. We are encouraged to critique our professors. We are encouraged to bring our own points forward, no matter how much they might deviate from what society thinks. But this same privilege is not available to people from other courses, especially those who belong to the sciences background and the commerce background. For them, it is more like a one directional thing. The professor just speaking and the students just taking notes. So that really makes me think that if give and take does not happen in a class, if there is no space at all for uh, that kind of an engagement, and rather it is just taking in and taking in. Uh, how do we then define learning? Is learning just about mutely going through whatever has already been done in the past? And that really, really hits me hard as a humanities student because um, the environmental sciences have been made compulsory for all the courses as a subject. But I do not see a similar thing being done for even basic humanities, which I think is very, very important. And so how would you define learning? Okay, so if there is one thing that I have taken away from my literature classes, it is that we do not define certain things we do not enclose them in such boundaries that makes them exclusive and then it becomes a situation of gatekeeping i feel that the moment you try and define something to the to its very end you make it problematic because then you are saying that this is this and it cannot be anything else and learning is not that 
I think what I can say about learning is definitely that it is supposed to be a give and take. It is supposed to be a co-created space and it is supposed to be a non-hierarchical space where you do not gatekeep and you do not try to show that you are more powerful than the other person. But apart from that, there is nothing else really that I can say to define learning. It cannot be a unidirectional flow. But yeah, that's it. The moment you take something from somewhere and use it for your personal growth, the growth of your community, uh, any kind of thought leadership or anything at all that takes you forward in any sense, that is learning to me. Beautiful. And it's like almost emergence, right? That it's the learning happens not just in the classroom, but through know in our lives almost like any moment in depending on the context the situation the conversations is that what you how you would describe it definitely definitely I would it is definitely not just a classroom space but every moment in life that you take something away from every moment in life that has uh, something to give you or something that you can give I think all of that becomes a part of learning and it never stops, definitely never stops. Yeah, it's what I call lifelong, life-wide, life-deep learning. <laughs> I definitely agree with that. So for you, I mean, you were talking, you're the first person, first generation to go to university, right? So it's a big deal. It's a it's a big thing. Um, what advice do you have for other people who are perhaps going to be like you next year um, and are going to be uh, first generation at university or, you know, even if they're not, it's, it's the first time they go to university. So do you have a specific message for them in terms of, I don't know, what be it um, how to handle your anxieties if you had any or you know the you, you said you feel like you almost have quite a not heavy burden but like there's responsibilities right on you uh, because you are at university so would you share with us uh sure um so i am not the first person to go to university but my parents have had some university education, but I am the first to move out of my hometown to go to university and the first to pursue an English education. So for people who would be doing the similar, I would hope, I'd really say that do not be dejected by the, by the fight, the difficult conversation that will inevitably come before this i had to and when the time when i was preparing for university it was the covid 19 pandemic and the lockdown so there was already a lot of anxiety around the same and a lot of thinking about oh uh, the capital of india is not considered a very safe city especially for women so there were conversations like oh what a lone girl what will she do in a new city uh you know how will she survive without family um how will she you know look at herself financially because i also do not come from a very financially privileged family so um all of these questions were things that made it very very difficult for my family to let me go off alone into a new city but 
I did not let that stop me because I knew what I wanted to do and I knew that I could not achieve it back there. I definitely want to give back to the community that brought me up. But what I needed to do in order to do that, I would not be able to achieve that back there. So people who similarly wanted to move out of their um, family circle for their education, I would say that that is a decision that needs to be taken after a lot of consideration. But that is also a decision that is a personal one to take depending upon what your goals and aspirations are and what you want to do. So there are many things to consider because after a certain age, you do not want to be a financial burden, quote unquote, so to say, on your family, especially when you come from one that is not as privileged. Uh, you want to be independent, but you also want to do what you want to do. So it takes a lot. It takes a lot because I am in college. I have... um three to five depending upon the time I have three to five part-time jobs that I do to maintain that and I have responsibilities at college because I hold certain positions of responsibility so it is really a very conscious and a very um a very active decision to be taken and Uh, and I think it needs to be done after a lot of consideration and after a lot of conversations. And I love how you've described the role that parents or adults have to play in the life of a of a young person in terms of seeking advice, but that the really important thing is to to know what is true for you and that what you want to do um and that to me is so important because I always think like the teenage years are the years where you really need to discover who you are in this garden called life and almost like sometimes branch away from your family and from you know so apologies for misunderstanding that you 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 know none of your family had not gone to university but the fact that you actually your parents did go to university but you're the first one to branch away from home uh university so you know like real kudos to you for knowing what it is you want to do because you know and I'll talk about the, the young people I know the most which is here in England very often not a lot of young people know what it is they want to do and they don't really know who they are in this garden called life so that means that it makes it very challenging for them to to not listen to what the adults want so what advice do you have because it sounds to me like you knew what you wanted to do so what advice do you have for our young people um, so I do not think I still really know what I want to do. But what I try to usually do is figure out the next step rather than figuring out what will come 10 steps later. So when I decided to take humanities, I did not know what I wanted to do as a career. I took up English literature as a major because I love the subject, not because it particularly has anything to do with what I'd like to do later in life. So my way and which has worked so far is to figure out just the next step and the next step rather than thousands of steps away, you know. And the one about breaking away from um, advice of elders, to me, I have had a traumatic childhood. Um a more or less a quiet, abusive childhood uh, from my natal family. So um, 
I had learned very young that, you know, what elders say or what elders do is not always gospel. It is not always right. And it is definitely not always right for everyone. So um, the thing about exerting my agency and the thing about being able to speak my mind, those are things that I had to learn to do and that I had to teach my siblings to do from a very young age. And that is something that is a very important core part of me. And starting from the time when I could contribute financially to the family, of course, what I had to say became more important, held more weight. Though this might not be how it goes for everyone, but I think a lesson that we can take away from here is that, yes, <laughs> there are people who might have your best interests at heart, but they are still not you. They still cannot know you as completely as you can or as completely as you can attempt to do. Only you know what you've only you know what could be right for you it is absolutely all right to experiment and it is absolutely all right to do something that nobody in your surroundings has ever done because that is what truly makes you understand that what is out there what is available out there what can you reach out to what can you hold on to and i think if i had not decided against the wishes of everyone to take up the humanities and not the sciences and then today I would be miserable, like many students in India are, because sciences are still considered, you know, the best subject to take, the best students take that subject. Right. I would be in a miserable life, not able to uh, try and realize my potential, not able to do the things that I really love to do. And I really would not wish that kind of an experience for anyone at all. Wow. So first of all, I'm sorry, you've had obviously a traumatic childhood. Um, yeah, that there's nothing, nothing I feel I can say that would, you know, I'm sure change or, or do anything, but, you know, my heart really goes out to you. But what I'm hearing is through that traumatic event, you know, it, I, I find it really interesting as someone who, who researches flourishing and well-being because, um, in the positive psychology, we talk a lot about all the positives uh, and, you know, flourishing is often associated with being happy and everything is great. Um, but actually, often I have conversations with young people around how life is about peaks and valleys and, and that sometimes, even though we hate the valleys and we hate the darkness, like to know darkness, you need to, to know light, you need to know darkness. Um, so, you know, for some it might sound cliche and certainly, you know, if you're in the middle of a, of a valley, um, it's really hard and it's really challenging and very difficult. And I have no doubt that you have, you know, by experiencing that, it must have been really tough. And I'm I'm sorry for that, you know, that what you experienced. But I wonder whether for you that experience has also enabled you to find your voice or you know, if you feel that somehow it's been out of that negative has come out some positives. Definitely has. The very first thing was because I was in a joint family, 
the kind of support that I expected and could not get from one parent, I got from my uncle. And this is not usually something that I have seen in other parts of the world. In my course of work, neither in India, joint families are very rare. And actually having people in a joint family who genuinely care for you is even rarer. So when I said siblings, uh, I meant four of us, but actually um, I don't even know how to say it because we are so together. My, uh, I and my sister, we have a mother and the other two are my uncle's children. But we grew up in such close quarters that nobody will be able to tell apart that, oh, these two are siblings and these two are siblings. And it was my uncle who played the primary uh, fatherly role in my life. Without my uncle, I think <laughs> my sister and I would not have been able to turn, up, turn out as we did. So definitely there was a support system in place, no matter how subtle. And I think it was that, it was that ray of hope that I have my mother, I have my uncle, that really helped us weather a lot of the negative experiences that we went through you know, and um, I think there was the, all the resilience that I have even now, even in a new city surviving, uh, you know, almost all alone when I came here, all the resilience that I have was built from those years back, back in my hometown, very slowly built over the years, but built nonetheless, and they stayed with me very, very strongly. So <clears throat> now as an adult, neither do I let anybody run all over me in the sense of the word neither do i let anybody else who is going through something similar be silenced and a lot of my activism initiatives a lot of the work that i do uh, a lot of my social service initiatives the center around such experiences a lot of my creative work because i am a poet as well a lot of my creative work also centers around such voices and even though i have received numerous threats after you know reciting my poetry so my poetry is about domestic violence or marital rape things that are still not talked about and when i openly recite these pieces very often after these i get rape threats i get murder threats i get uh, you know online harassment but none of that has been able to stop me because the very base of how i feel and what i do <clears throat> had been set when i was a child and though it is not all flowers and cakes, of course. The experiences that I and we have gone through have left certain scars that I think would take a lot of time to heal or probably would always be scars. But then again, those experiences have also given me a lot to hold on to and a lot to fall back upon when I face similarly troubled times. Beautiful. And and as you were talking, the talking about like the, the scars made me think of, you know, that Japanese art where they repair um, like a broken pot with gold. Um, I can't remember the, the word and I apologize to any, if anybody is a Japanese speaker, I apologize for not knowing the word. But do you know what I mean by that art? And so that's the image that came up for me as you were talking is that actually you know constructing your 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 poetry and you know creating your activism and your action stemming from that scar rather than the wounds is such a powerful image and such a, a beautiful image 
Thank you for saying that. I think um, for a very long time, I was in denial that I had actually been through those experiences. And because of that, there was a closed off part of my own self that I could not access at all. And neither could anyone else. But when I stepped away from my hometown, when I stepped away from there and decided to come here, I also found a community here who were, you know, quite concerned about me once we built the bonds and we mutually cared for each other. So with their love and their support, I eventually had the courage to unlock that part of myself and really let myself feel rather than being in that numb denial. And once I let myself feel there was so much to unpack. There was so much to unpack that it surprised my own self. And once I'm still in the process of doing that, I would not say that I have totally unpacked everything that is within me. But mm-hmm. once I started on that process, I realized that the more we keep ourselves locked off, um, the more difficult it becomes to deal with those emotions later in life. And those undealt with emotions can become the source of a lot of conflict and strife later in life as well. Um, I know that I definitely uh, would not want to parent in the ways that I was parented. So that that and everything else requires me to be totally be able to understand myself first. And that is a process. And I really, really hope for everyone out there who has gone through something like this that they are able to find the time, the support, and everything else needed to unpack what is within them and really and truly give space to those feelings to come out, to be expressed, and to have something to take away from them. Mm, Beautiful. And it sounds like you have been given that space, right? That gift to just sit with what is and to allow for that healing to happen and and also what I heard in what you were sharing is that it's a journey so it it's an ongoing journey in a sense that perhaps um because we we've all experienced adverse situations regardless of what those adverse situations are there are times when we might be re-triggered by situations and events um and also when i when when you were talking about how you over overcame adversity talking about your mum and your uncle like your rays of, of 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 sunshine right like the light um i wonder whether underneath that is the need for a for a space sure but also for people who will hold that space for you like people you trust so I wonder whether you could share what you view as your I mean those are my words of course um but what what in your views are like the essential uh ingredients I don't know what I would call them but do you know what I mean what is really key or important for for that when you we encounter adversity uh, one, I think having that space is never possible while you are in the space of that particular adversity. It has to wait till you can remove yourself from that space or at least have some distance between yourself and the space. Second, the community is very important, the support. And by community, it can just be two other people who genuinely care for you. But that is very important. 
also very important is the recognition the recognition of the fact that yes i have been through something traumatic yes i have been through something that has affected me in many ways and i need time and support to recover from it and the agency to take that for yourself to take that space for yourself supported by the people that you love and that love you i think also very very important is the recognition that we will not be able to get over an experience like that in a very short time as you said it is a journey and it is a journey that may take years and so to have patience with yourself sometimes when i get triggered by certain things i get very frustrated with my own self that you know it has been a year that i have been away how and why am i still so triggered but that is really a rhetorical question you cannot answer that question we cannot really know how the human mind works or what it is that we need to heal completely even if it is ever possible to heal completely in that sense so what you really really need is to be patient with yourself and what taught me that patience was the people around me my friends at college and here at my hostel who genuinely care about me who think that i deserve more than to be just a shell of myself nobody deserves that kind of an existence so people might or might not have some or all of these but i think the very healing starts from your own self the very healing starts from the recognition that you need to heal the moment we let something like ego come in between like oh i cannot be affected at all by anything the moment we let something that like that come in between it really really disrupts the process of uh, you understanding yourself or the process of even the start of healing so i think yes these are a few things that have really helped me amazing and i'm sure that will be so helpful to to so many so is there a question i haven't asked you that you wish i'd ask you or is there something that we've not explored so far that you just all think oh i would so have loved to discuss with fabian Yeah so something that is very close to my heart is the work that I do apart from college and a very important part of that is working on menstrual hygiene and it is important in india because for a very long time it has been a taboo here it is still a taboo in that sense so when i started with my menstruation there was nobody to explain to me what was happening in my body and why that was happening to the extent that i thought that i had a disease and i was going to bleed to that nobody told me anything and that is what most girls in many parts of india think even today and at the time of my grandmother when girls used to menstruate they would be locked in cowsheds not allowed to come out during the period of their menstruation food would be just pushed in and though it evolved a little by the time my grandmother was married girls were still made to sleep on the floor when they menstruated because menstrual blood was and is still considered you know a taboo something impure the impure blood and things like that so because of this many menstruators even today do not have access to the kind of sanitation awareness or products that would help them have a safe and hygienic menstruation even though we have come a long way my sister my siblings and i we never had to go through something like that but 
it is the reality for many menstruators even today. And even more lacking is the awareness that members of the queer community can also menstruate. There is a lot of stigma around that as well. So a lot of my work around menstruation revolves around creating awareness through my poetry and my creative work. And also a lot of distribution drives where we share resources and menstrual hygiene products with people who do not have those. Another thing that we would really like to see happen is the government subsidizing the production of menstrual hygiene products so that even those with the least amount of resources can afford them, which hasn't happened yet. So that is a very important and core aspect of me, the artist activism part of me. And I'm saying this out here because I want people out there to know that, yes, this is still an issue in many parts of the world, including the part of the world where I am from, India and its neighboring countries. And this is something that really, really needs to be addressed. Thank you for sharing, Adrija. And um, is there any way those people out there, like the listeners, how, how do we best support your amazing work? What, what's the best way to, I don't know, like how do we reach out to you? How do we support? Is there, like, do you have any suggestions? Yes. So um, there are organizations that are doing very great work in this field. Um organizations like the period society which recently received the diana award so we very often put out updates and call to actions on the instagram page i do it personally on my page as well so if you follow any such organization or if you could search for one such organization i think basically just typing periods or menstruation on instagram would do the trick if you could support any such organization by following them by participating in their online campaigns maybe or by donating from time to time if you have the capacity to spreading the word because activism spreads through a mobilization of people who think alike that would be very, very helpful. And definitely the recognition that we need to start conversations. Conversations are not happening. They are very slow to grow. And especially in terms of this, they really need to happen. Amazing. Yeah, let's have more imperfectly perfect conversations, right? Yes. Mm, wonderful. Anything else you want to share that we haven't discussed that you know you would like us to, to explore or discuss? Uh, I think sometimes support can come from the most unexpected of places, regardless of what that support is and what that space is. So for me, support was a very intergenerational space. So for example, while my mother is still not comfortable talking about, you know, menstruation or say uh, relationships, including romantic and sexual relationships, that is not true for my grandmother, like my mother's mother. My grandmother is a person who is not camera shy, which is not true of most people her age, who is not scared to speak about the most taboo of topics. She was originally a refugee who came into India uh, during a strife, a war uh, back in 1971. She's not scared to speak about that part of her life. And she's definitely not hesitant to discuss about anything with me. And that is truly, truly liberating for me. And she says for her as well, because before me, she did not have the opportunity to express in that sense. So 
I would say that when support comes to you, do not judge that support. Do not think that, oh, how can I get support from so-and-so person or such and such space? Rather, it is very important to explore and really push deeply at whatever comes to you. And only by doing that can we explore a space that is even more uh, inclusive. Because I have support from my friends. I have support from my grandmother. I have support from some of my professors. And this really encompasses a very broad age group, a very broad uh, background group, a very broad group of people from different religions, different castes, different economic backgrounds. And I think that is what has really, really helped me broaden my horizon. That is what has really, really helped me grow in different aspects and in different pathways. So when support comes to you, do not judge that support. Rather, give it the time and space to come to you and to help you explore a part of yourself that you probably didn't even know existed. Beautiful. I love it. That's that's wonderful. So I wonder whether there is like something that from from our imperfectly perfect conversation today, is there anything in particular that has stood out or like a message you want us to take away? You know, I don't know. Anything else? <laughs> Uh, sure. So the way we met Samian on LinkedIn, because you saw a post of mine on a certain LinkedIn page, I think I could have easily, you know, said that, oh, I do not know you. And so I do not wish to speak with you. Or, you know, this is not okay. But I think we need to give space to conversations that arise from unexpected places. I did it because it felt exciting to me. I have always been somewhat of a risk taker and it has taken me places that otherwise I would not have been able to go. So I think the only one of the things that I would like to say that I, I am definitely taking away and maybe other people might take away as well is allow yourself to be rebellious and allow yourself to take risks. That is the thing that sometimes will take you to a place that you would that you would really love to be in but would not have otherwise reached yeah thank you so much amazing i'm so glad you were rebellious and you took risk and you accepted my offer for an imperfectly perfect conversation i hope it was worth taking the risk it definitely was i i feel so much happier after having this conversation Wonderful. Well, you see, my job is done because I just so think that's it. If if people leave our the conversation feeling like their tank has been filled, then that's it. <laughs> so I just really want to thank you, Adrija, once again, and 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 I wish you all the best. And I'm sure we'll keep in touch. But um, yeah, thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. You can also reach me via Twitter at FlourishingHE on LinkedIn 
or you can join our private Facebook group, Flourishing Education. All the links are easily available on anchor.fm. Thank you so much, and I hope you are flourishing. Bye for now.